and maybe that's a little better. <laughs> in case you didn't hear those greetings, uh, uh, in all seriousness, we are, uh, of course, burdened with you for your pastor and his family at this time. Uh, we are in prayer with you for him, um, and uh, at the same time, I am honored to be here this morning, honored for the invitation to bring God's word to you. And so I would ask you please to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. After I chose this text, I was informed that you all have already been in Matthew. So just consider this a preview of what is to come. Uh, however, the text this morning is quite relevant to, uh, to us always, but even particularly now in a, in a time when your pastor and therefore this congregation will go through a bit of a time of trial, um, because this is a, a text on prayer. It's a well-known, it's a well-loved text. It's Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7 and going through verse 11. We often will memorize this uh, in children's Sunday school and, and have these words dear to us throughout our lives. Uh, but as we come this morning to this text, I encourage you to think about it in light of, uh, of even what is happening in, in the life of your congregation right now. Uh, in the need of prayer for uh, the Bailey family, prayer for your own congregation uh, as we know the Lord uh, hears and answers those prayers as we will be talking about this morning. So please do stand as we read God's Word together, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray together and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of it. Oh, Lord our God, as we come this morning to your word, we come as a needy people, needy for you by your Spirit to take this life-giving word and to plant it deeply into our hearts. We pray for conviction and encouragement. Lord, we pray for rebuke and for lifting up. And we pray, oh Lord, that you would have your way with us and that you would receive all the glory this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, that great American theologian, philosopher, and poet, Garth Brooks, once crooned that sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. You probably know the song if you have listened to country music within the past couple of decades. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Of course, later in the song, uh, he says that some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And while I would tremble to disagree with the theological acumen of someone as great as Garth Brooks, I would like to quibble with his sentiment just a little bit in light of our text this morning. Because Jesus tells us that for God's children, there really aren't any unanswered prayers. There may be prayers that God answers in ways that we don't like, and there may be prayers that he answers in a way that we did not expect. Uh, he may say no. He may say wait. 
He may say, not yet. But he hears our prayers and he answers our prayers because he is our father. And he's a good father. And that's what Jesus is telling us this morning in our text. He's he's telling us that God is our father, wants us to pray. He is bidding us to pray to him. And when we pray, he will hear us. And he will answer us because of his character, because of who he is. And that's what we want to unpack this morning. I'd like to do so looking at, at this text in, in three ways. First of all, I want to see how God, uh, through his son Christ here, is telling us that he wants us to ask him. He wants us to come to him in prayer. It's something that Jesus is exhorting us to do. And really, it's not an option, as we will see, for Christians. But God wants us to pray. He wants us to ask. Secondly, he wants us to ask knowing that we will be heard. Our prayers will not just hit the ceiling and stop. They will not go out into space somewhere and bounce around the universe never heard. They come to our God. And the reason for that is our third point is that because He is a good Father. He is a holy God. He is a magnificent God. He is the creator of the universe who set the stars in their orbits and calls them by name. But He is also our Father. And so He will hear our prayers. So let's dive in with those things in mind. First of all, let's see how Jesus is teaching us here that God wants us to ask. That comes back to verse 7. Jesus tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now, first of all, just a a, a comment about the context here. We're jumping later into the Sermon on the Mount where, if I understand correctly, you all have just started that with Pastor Craig. He's in the Beatitudes now. But as you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you see that Jesus gives quite a bit of magnificent teaching. And one of the things that we get, especially in in chapters 5 and 6, is all this instruction from Jesus about this is what it means to keep the law as a Christian, and this is how you are to live as those who are kingdom disciples. And some of those things that he mentions are quite difficult. Loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. Most recently, he has told us here in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, that you're not allowed to judge others in a judgmental way, that you have to use godly uh, wisdom and and godly judgment towards others, that you can't be a hypocrite and have a, a log in your own eye and point out the speck in other people's eyes. And so we might be getting to this point and in the sermon and thinking, well, who is able to do this? All of these things Jesus has laid out here, uh, that that we're not supposed to be anxious. We're not supposed to lay up treasures in heaven. We are supposed to love our enemies. Um, how, How are we to do this? How are we not to love the world and instead love heaven? How are we not to be selfish? This doesn't, if we understand the depths of Jesus' commands, we understand that we are not able to do this. And so Jesus says, you need to pray. You need to ask for the ability to do this. I, I believe that's the context that, that this is coming in here, uh, where the Sermon on the Mount really should push us to a place to see that we are needy before God of even being a basic Christian disciple. And so Jesus comes now and he's reminding us of the need for prayer. Chapter 6, of course, he's already gone through the, he's given us the Lord's Prayer. We know in, uh, from Luke's Gospel that that comes in a context where his disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so then Jesus gives us this magnificent prayer and he's coming back around now in chapter 7 and saying, so pray. 
as one who is a kingdom disciple, pray. Now, whatever Jesus has in mind, uh, exactly as far as the context goes here, the, the message is clear This is that he wants us to be actively, intentionally dependent upon God. Actively, intentionally dependent upon God. He wants us to run to the throne room of grace for aid. He wants us to seek the help of the Lord. He wants us to ask for His intervention. He wants us to knock on the, the door of heaven and be let in and have the help of God. And as we meditate on this for, for just a moment, we, we need to realize that for Christians, as I mentioned a moment ago, prayer really is not an option. It's not something that some Christians can do, but others may not. Because prayer is that active reliance on God. It is faith in action. We just confessed what is faith in Jesus Christ. But, but part of faith is that believing the Bible, believing God's Word, and putting it into practice. And we cannot do that on our own. We cannot do that if we do not have an ongoing relationship with the Lord. And what, what we learn from Scripture is that a prayerless life is a life that has no faith in action. Faith is, in a sense, dead if we are not praying. Because who, who are we communing with? What are we doing? What we're doing if we don't pray is we're saying, I've got this. Whether we mean it or not, whether we, whether we intend our heart to be in this place, what we're doing when we do not come to God in prayer is we're saying, I can do life on my own. I do not need you. Imagine a child, a young child, who never talked to his or her parents, who never asked for anything. It, it's an impossibility, really, because children are dependent, and they cannot do things for themselves. And Jesus wants to see us, wants us to see ourselves like this, that, that I cannot do life on my own. I have no ability, and yet we walk around like we do. We live so often as if we are sovereign and not God is sovereign. We live so often as if we have it within us to face the day or to face the circumstances. And typically, we go to prayer when we come to a point when we say, you know, I, this, this I can't do. Everything else I could, but this I can't. I have a situation, I have a, a, a circumstance that now is beyond me, and so now I will go to prayer. And sometimes we, we, uh, we show this attitude. I've done it, probably most of us have done it. And we don't mean it like this, but, but we'll say something when we're talking to a friend who is, you know, maybe has a family member who's uh, had a stroke, let's say, um, and in the case of Pastor Bailey now and his mother, and we, we might, uh, you know, do everything we can to help out, and then, and, and the doctors have done everything they can, and then what we'll say is, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. As if it's the last resort and it's really not going to help. And, and we go to prayer when we've exhausted all the other options. And Jesus would have us turn that on its head and say, pray, always. Pray for those things that, that, that you don't normally think about needing to pray for. Pray for the little things. Remember that God is a God who, yes, He holds the stars in the heavens, but He's also numbered the hairs on your head, and not one of them can fall off of your head without God giving it permission. Pray to the God of the details. 
Pray to the God who protects you in your car on your commute. Pray to the God who has the heart of your children in his hand. Pray to the God who has all of the details of your life under his sovereign love and care and ask him for the details. Ask him for the small things. Bring those to him. You know, as, for those of you who are married, you know that in a good marriage you communicate about everything. You communicate about teeny tiny details like the grocery list and you communicate about the big stuff like how to raise your children. You do that because uh, you are in relationship with one another. And this is part of what God wants from us here is to be in relationship ongoing actively with him as our father. Now there's threefold repetition here. The ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This is... uh, I believe uh, commentators take different sides of this. Some will, will say that these are different aspects of prayer and there's nuance here and, and there's good people who think that. But I, I follow the right opinion, which is uh, John Calvin's opinion, um, which that, that Jesus' emphasis here uh, is, is prayer and that this threefold repetition is just driving that home. He, Calvin, uh, he comments... That uh, the whole point that Jesus is making is just pray, 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 pray. He's exhorting us to prayer. And so as Calvin says, he does this because we are so, quote, careless and sluggish. you got to love the 17th century language. We are careless and sluggish in prayer. But isn't that true? How many of us pop out of bed at five in the morning just, yay, I'm going to pray? I don't. I'm careless and sluggish. And because we are careless and sluggish when it comes to prayer and our attitude towards prayer, Calvin goes on to say that he, he gives us this ask, seek, and knock repetition to rouse us from our inactivity. If we're not going to listen to anybody else, will we listen to Jesus? That we need to pray because we cannot do this life on our own. Whether big stuff that we realize or the day-to-day, we cannot do it on our own. We are needy people. And if we do not realize that and we do not act on that, we are not treating God as God. We are treating ourselves ultimately as God. So Jesus exhorts us here. It's a wonderfully strong exhortation, but it's not just an exhortation. It's also a very sweet and wonderful and loving encouragement. Because there's a promise associated with this. That if you ask, if you knock, if you seek... You will receive, you will find, the door will be opened. Look again here as we come to our second point in verses 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. It's a very warm encouragement. Again, Calvin comments that there is nothing better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we shall be heard. There's nothing better to bring us to prayer than knowing that it's not just a pointless exercise on our knees in our room. That the God of the universe is there and He's listening and He will answer us when we pray. Now, the question that can come up here if uh, someone is sort of flipping through the Bible and say they're, they're not 
a Christian or not well-versed in Christian theology, they can come to this text and they say, well, that is wonderful because I would really like to win the lottery. And so I'm going to ask that God will allow me to win the lottery. Or I would really like this or that. I would love to have a three-month vacation paid for by my employer. Those, so I'm just going to ask for it, and the Bible promise me, promises me that I will get it. Well, of course, that's not what Jesus is saying. That, that turns God into the genie in the lamp. And all you have to do is say the right words and, you know, poof, out comes your three wishes and, and there you go. But that's not, that's not Jesus' intention here. The Bible never teaches us that sort of thing. Instead, again, we remember the context. And we're in the Sermon on the Mount and it's Jesus as king of his kingdom. And he is talking to his people. He's talking to his disciples. And he's talking to people, again, as our text says, who are children of a heavenly father. So he's talking to believers. He's talking to those who have a relationship with the Lord. And he's also not guaranteeing, as we spoke a moment ago, of the outcome necessarily. Yes, you will be answered, but it may not be the answer that you want is implicit here. Because uh, as we see that this is God as Father, he's mentioning that. He says uh, later in the text, he, he, he brings in the analogy of fatherhood and he's speaking of God as our Father. And we know from an earthly level that fathers do not always give to their children what they want. Daddy, my three-and-a-half-year-old might ask, can I have ice cream for lunch? No, son, I love you, but you may not have ice cream for lunch. Daddy, can I have froyo for lunch? No, son, you may not have froyo for lunch. May I have cookies for No, you may not. I am hearing and I am answering, but I am answering with his best interests in mind may not feel like it when you're three and a half. Uh, it may not appear that you, are, uh, ha- that you have a loving father, but we know that parents give good things to their children. And a diet of ice cream and froyo for dinner would not be a good thing ultimately. Well, the Lord does the same. He knows what is truly good and bad for us. He is the one who has infinite wisdom and knowledge. And so when we come to Him, when we bring our concerns and we bring our burdens and we bring our requests, which we should do, He will answer those. He will hear them. But He will answer them in the best way that infinite wisdom and love dictates. You think about that. Think about what, what Jesus is, is getting at here, is that every time you pray, you are answered. Every time you bring a request before the Lord, he will answer you. Again, you, you, you pray to win the lottery and you probably aren't going to win the lottery because God knows that's not good for you. That's not His will for your life. That's not laying up treasures in heaven as Jesus has just taught us. But He will answer you. And, and when, we, when we pray those things that we know are in accordance with His will, we pray for more faith. We pray for more love. We pray for fuller measures of grace. We pray for a deeper conviction of His Word in our hearts. We know the Lord blesses those prayers. He might answer them, again, He might answer them in different ways than we would expect. But He does answer them. And that is a a, a wonderful, beautiful promise. And so, again, coming back to uh, theologian Garth Brooks, we we have to say that, that there really are not any unanswered prayers. There are prayers that God answers in a better way than we ask. 
And so, dear Christian, I, I don't know most of you, but perhaps there are those of you in this room who have begged God for things before. Uh, my family certainly has. Uh, we, in the past five years, have had some deep heartache in our family. And we begged God for certain outcomes. And He said no. And He gave a different outcome. Maybe many of you are in that same place. And maybe it, it makes you wonder whether God is hearing you, or whether He is good, or whether He cares. But Jesus reminds us here that He does hear you. And He does care for you. And He has answered you. And what Jesus is telling us to do and, and what the Scriptures lead us to do is to step back and to remember that He, the Lord, is the one who has perfect wisdom and knowledge and perfect love married to that. And He answers us according to those things. And so we trust Him. We trust Him with those answers. And we trust Him Finally and thirdly, because he isn't just a, a divine power out there somewhere. He isn't just a, a king of the universe who really doesn't care for people. He isn't someone who has all the power of, of the world at his fingertips, but is kind of fickle and capricious in the way that he uses it. No, he is a good heavenly father. Look at how Jesus says this in Verses 9 and following. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, excuse me, your Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is doing here what he often does where it's a, an argument from the lesser to the greater. And it's a very powerful point because uh, those of us who are parents know that any normal parent uh, would never intentionally harm their child. And that when their child asks for something of necessity like food... Here, Jesus uses bread and fish. Those would have been staples of, of the, the first century Palestinian-type diet. Um, that when your child is hungry, you feed them when you have the ability. And when your child asks for something that is good and you're able to provide, you provide. And when your child is, asks for something that is not good, you do not provide it because you do not want to harm your child. And so... If human parents do this, if parents who are cursed with sin and who are not all wise and who are not all powerful and who do not have perfect love, no matter how much they love their children, if, if human parents do this, how much more will God do this? I, I've told people in the past that when I became a parent, when I became a father, I always believed the love of God previous to that. I had a, a measure of understanding for it. Of course, people who aren't parents can absolutely have a deep appreciation for the love of God as Father, but it, it changed something in, in my personal understanding and experience of God's love as Father. Because now you have a, a child in your life, another human being, that, that you feel like you would, you would do anything for. 
you would, you would, you will give your entire life in a way for this person because now you're a father, now you're a mother. And Jesus is saying, if you have love that deep, how much deeper, how much greater, how much wider is the love of God for you, his child? But Jesus goes even further than this. He, he deals with what can be some fears on our part when, when he brings in the, the, the negative example here. He says, well, so, so which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? In other words, will do something mean. Because here you could think of a loaf of bread, a round loaf of bread, and your child is, in this context, asking for bread. And so you say, of course, here's some bread. But you trick them. And you, put in, you take the bread basket and you put a stone in it instead. And they, they, they take the bread and, and they get out and they try to bite it and they hurt their teeth. It would be cruel. It would be terrible to do that to your child. The, the same thing with the fish and the serpent. The, some scholars think that there were fish in this area that were somewhat eel-like, um, so kind of like a snake. And perhaps the, uh, the, uh, Jesus' audience, they were familiar with this kind of fish and would be eating it and their children would know it. And, and so, again, no sane parent who loves their child would say, of course I'll give you a fish and then swap out a deadly snake for it. And the child goes to eat the fish and they get snake bit and then they die. It's it's madness to think that a human parent would do this. And so Jesus is saying, how much more would your father never do this to you who is perfect and in heaven? I think he brings up that point because of what we mentioned a moment ago that there are times when we pray and the way that God answers it, we, we want to feel like he just gave us a stone in our bread basket. Say, Lord, I asked for bread and you gave me this rock. I asked for fish and you gave me a serpent. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. He did not do that. That may be your interpretation of the events, but he loves you. And the logic of Jesus comes out here and and all through the New Testament because even as Paul Uh, The Apostle Paul brings out to us in Romans chapter 8, that beautiful section at the end of Romans 8, where he tells us that if God has done so much for you, that he would give you Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread who came down out of heaven. So if God would give you the best bread, the greatest bread... Why would he now treat you cruelly? Why would he now not take care of you? The Lord God has given you the greatest gift he could ever give. He has given you his son. His son who came to earth to to live for you, to suffer for you, to die for you. To be bread for you. That you might feed on him and live. If God has done that, why would you accuse him of doing something bad to you in the course of your life? Why would you think that after everything that he has paid, the the price of the blood of his own son, whom he crushed with his very own hand for the sins of his people that he was redeeming, if he gave Jesus to you, why would he not give everything else to you that he knows is good and right and true for you? And if you have someone in your life who's extremely generous, and let's say they, you know, they, they give you $10,000, uh, 
to help you out with something. You've got a hospital bill or, or some sort. They, they just pay it. it. It would, it probably wouldn't be a big deal to go back and ask them for $5 for a loaf of bread. You would know that their generosity covers a loaf of bread. And that's sort of Jesus' point here is that you have a heavenly Father who has sent me. I am here. I am your bread. I have come to be torn apart for you so that you may be fed spiritually, so that you may inherit the kingdom. And your Father sent me. He will give you everything you need in addition. He's already given you the greatest. He's already given you the best. There is nothing that you need that is good for you that he is going to withhold. So when it feels like he's put a stone in your bread basket, look again. Look again at that stone and you'll realize that maybe it's just some bread you didn't like. Maybe it's some, a little denser, a, a little heavier than you would have preferred. But it's good for you. And it comes from a hand that loves you. When you think it's a snake, look again. It's not a snake. It's something that the Lord has blessed you with. Perhaps you don't like it. Perhaps you don't want it. But it is what your loving Heavenly Father has given. And Jesus would say, I promise you, it is what you need. So brothers and sisters, what do we do with all of this? Well, I hope what we do with this is pray. I hope we will have the attitude towards prayer that it's not a burden but a privilege. I'm speaking to myself. I, I, I don't know, uh, certainly not myself or others around me, um, I, I don't know anyone who finds deep, intimate prayer with God just perfectly easy. And perhaps that's why Jesus is emphasizing that here again in, in, in our text and in the Gospels. Because prayer isn't easy probably because we have this innate sense of self-reliance. That we, have, we wake up each morning with our brain attuned to, I've got to do it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be okay. And so we don't see the need to go to prayer. We don't see the need for communion with God throughout our day because we have just this sinful sense of, of sovereignty and of autonomy. And so prayer is hard, but I hope what we take to heart here is that no matter how hard it is, it is absolutely necessary and it is absolutely worth it. It's necessary because it's commanded for one. It's something that we, that we don't just see as a choice in the Christian life. But, but secondly, it's, it's necessary because we cannot survive as Christians without it. But more than being a, a necessary, more than being a command, it is a great great gift. Your Heavenly Father, who holds every square centimeter of the universe in the palm of His hand, bids you to come to His presence, to knock on His door and be let in, and to ask of Him, and to seek from Him whatever it is that is burdening you. So pray. Knock on His throne room. Be let in. Pray for the big things. Pray for those things that, that are burdensome. Pray for those things that you know are beyond you. Pray for the health of others. Of course, as we mentioned earlier, pray for your pastor and his family during this time. Lift them up. The Lord will hear you. But pray for the little things. 
And pray for the invisible things. Pray for those things that we don't often think about. We, we, we will often think about you know, uh, finances and health and, and uh, you know, provision and our children and our family members and their health and those sorts of things. But there are invisible things that are very, very important which we often forget to pray about. Greater love for the Lord. Greater unity in the church. Expansion of the kingdom was prayed earlier this morning. Uh, Overcoming sin in our life. A deeper understanding of God's Word. Stronger marriages. Children who love Christ. God cares about every single one of these. He cares about every burden that you carry. And so, dear Christian, pray. Let Jesus' emphasis here of asking and seeking and knocking, let it be an encouragement that pushes you to your knees and that keeps you there and that doesn't give up. Because part of this as well is, is, is not giving up. We are, you know, we are in a culture that loves things instantaneously. We want to be able to communicate with somebody in another country at the push of a button. We want to receive an answer. You know, it's taken him 15 seconds to text me back. How dare he? You know, we, we want immediate response. We have fast food and we have fast, uh, you know, communication. We have immediate sort of everything these days. But, but God doesn't work on our timetable. And so we need to persevere in prayer. We need to ask and seek and knock. We need to be roused from our sluggishness. And we need to, to knock on the throne room. And we need to know that God hears us and He answers us. And He just wants us to persevere sometimes. And he works on us through that. So Christian, be encouraged. God has already given you the greatest gift that he could, his son. And he is for you. And if you are here this morning and you are not a believer, you need to hear this message that that God is a father to those who seek him. And he's a good father. Maybe many of you have had very bad fathers in your life. Everything your father was not and should have been, the Lord is to the nth degree. And He calls you to come to Him. And He is there for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved is what the, the, the Gospels uh, command. What they tell us, it's a blessed, gracious promise. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, His Father becomes your Father. And His Father is for you. So come to Jesus if you have not. And for those of you who have, call on your Father. Rest in Him. Know that He hears you because He loves you. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank You that as You are Lord and as You are King, You are also Father. You are our Father through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our elder brother, whom You gave for us, who died for us that we might be no longer enemies but adopted children. And so, Father, we pray that we would pray. We pray that we would be a people who call upon you, who see our neediness of you, who love prayer, who persevere in it in those times which are difficult. We pray that we would be a people, oh Lord, after your own heart, and that in prayer you would mold us and shape us. We thank you, Father, that you hear our prayers and that you love us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.